Hey there, educational rock stars. Are you feeling overwhelmed with lesson planning for your English language learners? Well, I've got some exciting news for you. Introducing our upcoming free webinar, Simplify Your Approach, Three Time-Saving Routines for ELL Success. Join me for a power-packed 45 minutes that's set to revolutionize your teaching strategy. In this webinar, we'll dive into three practical, easy-to-implement routines that will not only enhance your ELL teaching methods, but also save you hours of planning time. Yes, hours. So whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, these insights are tailored to help everyone make the most of their teaching time. Plus, you'll leave this webinar ready to implement these routines the next day. So mark your calendars for our two upcoming dates. I don't want you to miss this opportunity to transform your ELL lesson planning. To reserve your spot, simply sign up at www.equippingells.com slash routines. Trust me, your future self will thank you for it. I'll see you at the webinar. Teaching ELL students is a privilege and a joy. Is it easy? No way. But with the right support, you can feel empowered to tackle each day with ease and confidence. I'm your host, Beth Fauché, founder of Inspiring Young Learners. With over 10 years of teaching both nationally and internationally, I know what it takes to ensure that your ELL students have what they need to thrive today, tomorrow, and for life. I'm on a mission to empower you to equip your English language learners. Welcome to Equipping ELLs. Let's get to today's episode. Hey there, I just want to let you know that in today's episode, the audio is not so great. There's a little bit of popping that you're going to hear, but the content is so good that I did not want you to miss this episode. So I hope you enjoy it, and I hope that the audio doesn't impact all the good content that there is to share with you. Hey, Eileen, welcome to the show. I'm so excited you're here today. Hi, Beth. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk with you today. Today's episode, we are going to be diving into still science of reading type of topic, but really focusing in on phonics, phonemic awareness, all of those different types of goodies that can be kind of confusing sometimes. So Eileen is an expert in this field and she'll be here to share with us just some of her expertise with working with younger students and their vocabulary development, their phonic development, which is so crucial, even more so now than I think ever before, right? This is a topic we're all hearing about. So Eileen, why don't you just start and briefly share a little bit about your experience in the classroom and in teaching? Yeah, so I started out teaching in kindergarten, actually loved it, had a really great experience. And I got my reading specialist degree, my master's degree, and I actually after just a few years of kindergarten teaching, I immediately became a reading specialist because the opportunity came up and I started just with K-1. And I actually had a lot of ELL students in my group. So it was kind of like an overlap in my district at that time. And then I ended up going to a new district and I was then K-5. So also as a reading specialist. So I have a lot of experience with the little ones. I will say, I think my, my favorites continues to be to work with the youngest kids. <laughs> There's just something about them, something about like being those real light bulb moments 
when they are working on those early literacy skills that just lights me up. Yes. Teaching a child to read, I think has to be the most incredible besides teaching a student English. I think those go hand in hand. Yeah. Seeing those grades are incredible. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to dive right in because we have a lot to talk about today. I wanted to start off this conversation with kind of an overview and a, if you could share a little bit with us, just defining the difference between phonemic awareness and phonics. I think for a long time, you know, a lot of teachers didn't kind of use them interchangeably and didn't see there, there's really a significant difference. So why are they both important to developing readers and, and what is the difference in those? Yeah, so we'll start with phonics first. Phonics is really when you're focusing on the letter sound relationships. So it's where you're referring to the actual knowledge of the letter sounds and the ability to actually apply that knowledge when they're looking at letters, when they're decoding words, when they're putting it all together. So it's really that visual and auditory piece where they're seeing it and they're able to then manipulate it to create the word. It's really focusing on how the sounds look in writing. Where phonemic awareness, you're instead of instead of that visual piece, you're now focusing on the oral and auditory. So there in phonemic awareness, you're focusing on the knowledge of letter sounds in the spoken word. So it's the understanding of what those letters are doing when they're listening, when they're saying it, and then manipulating those sounds again, but as the oral piece. So really understanding that the individual words are all made up of individual sounds, and that's the phoneme piece. So you're breaking it down orally. You don't need any print or actual letter names like involved when it comes to phonemic awareness and really just focusing on understanding that each word is made up of those series of sounds that they've learned basically from the phonics piece. Excellent. That's so helpful because I know it's sometimes that can get really confusing. You know, just thinking of that oral part without, especially with our ELLs, many of them just really need that strengthening of hearing the sounds and playing with the sounds and, and breaking down the words to apply the sounds. Do you think that the teacher should begin with phonemic awareness activities or phonics activities, or they both go hand in hand? What's your thoughts on that? So they do definitely go hand in hand, but where students really should begin is on knowing their letter names. So if they've got that base la layer of knowing their letter names, then you can move on to actually introducing like a handful of sight words. And then what you're going to do from following that is begin your explicit phonics and phonemic awareness instruction. And really they should be interchangeable. So like if you're, if you're starting with letter names, you're moving on then to your letter sounds, and then you're doing it both as the oral piece and the connection to phonics where they're seeing it in writing. So it really has to all be connected. It doesn't mean that like you have to start your day with, you know, phonemic awareness and move to phonics. It really should be a process that's occurring all day long, intertwined throughout your activities. And like you said, with the L, that piece of hearing it and seeing it is so important because like for most other children, they've at least like heard the words. They're listening to it. They might have said it, even if they're not saying it like fully correctly. But for a student who's coming in with English as a second language, they're coming in with like, I've never heard that word before. I have no idea where it is. It's the same with us. If we hear someone speaking another language, we're not picking up like, oh, that's what she said, or that's what you're talking about. So they really do need to explicitly focus on both phonemic awareness and phonics interchangeably. Yes, which <laughs> is easier said than done. But that seems to be a big point as I've interviewed and talked with different educators about kind of the shift that's happening. It really seems to not be as dependent on maybe the paper and pencil things that the school is giving, the curriculum that they're giving, but really having an awareness and alertness of opportunities 
in context to be highlighting these different skills, which it adds a lot on us as teachers of, you know, feeling that lack of confidence. Do we really have these? But I think as we kind of open our minds to understanding this better, we're going to really see the different ways that there's opportunities to highlight the different phonic skills to really hone in on those sounds that are natural in lessons. Is that kind of what you're hitting on as well? Yes, because I think it, you're exactly right. A lot of times people think like, oh my goodness, I have to fit in this many minutes of phonemic awareness and this many minutes of phonics. And they're like, I don't have time in my schedule, but really they do. It's, it's a phonemic awareness because it is oral and auditory. It's so just like, you can be lining the kids up to go to PE and you say, okay, everyone, as you're lining up, tell me the sounds in back. Okay, now let's go to the next one. And you just are, so you're using that time that's almost like transitions or like, you know, you, it doesn't have to be, yes, you're going to have a set time that you're like focusing on phonemic awareness, but you can also interweave it through the rest of the day in a simple way where all of a sudden your kids are now sitting down to see, you know, and they're like, oh, cat, cat. and they're just doing that more natural because it becomes part of their day. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a good point. There is explicit teaching that does need to happen at a set time, but also looking for those opportunities, setting up those routines so that you're making the most of, especially those downtimes, those transition times, and really kind of playing those games with it, which we're going to get to here in a minute. Hey teachers, I'm interrupting this episode to ask you a quick question. How different would your life be if you could confidently plan effective and engaging lessons for your yellow students in a fraction of the time? I created my membership equipping ELLs to do just that. When you join, you gain instant access to the exact resources you need, proven and prepped for you, plus a supportive private community of like-minded educators. Join us today at www.equippingells.com. Now back to the episode. Now, one more question about this, because I know I've had some ESL teachers reach out to me and in their schools, they've now kind of become an ERA reading intervention teacher because many schools, many administrators are feeling this pressure that the ELLs don't know phonics. And so they have the homeroom teacher doing phonics. They have an ESL teacher doing phonics and they have a reading teacher doing phonics. So some of these students are getting three times of phonics a day. And so just thinking about that, what's your insight on, and I haven't, I didn't prep you with this question. So (laughs) we're putting her on this, but I just, you know, think I just would love to hear your insight on, is there a limit to the to the phonics that these students can really take in because English is really tricky. And so a lot of it is just kind of developmentally after they play with the words, after they hear them in different capacities, what are your thoughts on, you know, is there a limit of how much we can put on the phonics with our students where it's just too much? Yeah, I think like you're saying one right now, there is this big push for it, right? So people are hearing phonics, 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 and they're like, oh, we got to make sure we're doing it. So they're trying to incorporate, like you're saying, in whatever pullout service they can do, whatever it is. I think with ESL teachers having this priority of like, I'm trying to get kids comfortable with the English language, trying to get them to move along. 
you're not going to want to spend your whole, unless it's a separate time that you're like, I have 10 additional minutes with my group and we're just going to do phonics is one thing. But I think if you're replacing their, what they're supposed to be doing already, like vocabulary and everything else, it's going to, it's going to be too repetitive, right? It's going to be too redundant where then they're like, okay, now I've, like you said, I've done this three times today. Like it's not necessarily going to make them progress quicker. It might have the opposite effect where all of a sudden now they're like, I'm so sick of doing phonics. I'm just going to zone out. If you tell me one more time, like I can see it if it's an additional, in addition to what they're doing and saying, hey, we're going to spend a few extra minutes on this, but I don't think it should be replacing what their actual like content is that they should be covering. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. You know, there's a time and place, especially if your school is not, they don't have reading specialists that are doing phonics activities with ELLs. I do understand the, you know, for the ESL teacher, take that on. But yeah, we don't want to lose the other areas that our students need in language development. It's really the whole picture. We need it all. It's not, and this is what sadly happens sometimes in education is that pendulum just swings really far to the other side and we, we lose things that we're working. So let's talk a little bit because it's kind of what's happening right now. If we're honest, the science of reading is really all the rage. <laughs> You're hearing it everywhere. And there's a lot of good, a lot of good that comes with it. I love brain research. I love hearing how our brains learn to read. I mean, I was just reading an article the other day about how difficult English actually is to learn, especially when it comes to reading. So it is good to have a lot of that research that's coming out and being exposed. But will you share a little bit about what is changing now because of, you know, kind of swinging far to that science of reading side? And when it comes to teaching phonics, what are you seeing that's different? than maybe a couple of years ago. Yeah, so this is actually really interesting. This whole science of reading push is super interesting to me because when I started as a reading specialist, I did phonics and phonemic awareness. Like that was basically what my intervention was, working with K-1. Then after a few years, we switched to guided reading and I still incorporated it like just because that was what I knew and it was like that kind of thing. And I, when the science of reading thing came out, I was kind of like, what do you mean? People aren't doing phonics or people aren't doing phonetic awareness. Then as I read more, I realized like, oh, I'm doing it, but it was not a focus. And it, I think what is coming out now is like, you need to make sure you are explicitly focusing on phonics and phonemic awareness so that students are really taught every single letter and like letter combination that's representing the 44 sounds and phonemes in the English language. Where like before, maybe it was like, oh yeah, we hit the vowels, we, you know, like whatever, and you'll touch on it, but it wasn't like, let's make sure they're learning this before we're moving on. So now the big push is for like, you're following a phonics scope and sequence and you are starting here at short vowels, you know, and letter and consonants, and then you're moving to digraphs and then you're moving to this. You're not, uh, you're not throwing in, you know, blends right from the beginning. You're not throwing in long vowels, vowel combinations. So it's more following a very specific sequence. And now what I've learned is basically there, there's no absolute correct way of doing your scope phonics scope and sequence. It's just a matter of like, whichever one you pick, stick with it. And that's the one you're doing, like, so that you aren't confusing yourself or your students. So I think that's the biggest thing is in being a very intentional with your phonics and phonemic awareness instruction versus just willy nilly. Okay. And that, I think, you know, a lot of it is we're feeling really overwhelmed with how do we kind of switch to following this. But I like what you said is they're really, it's just following a clear scope and sequence for phonics, which you can Google. There's tons of different ideas out there. Like you said, it's not necessarily which one you follow. It's just finding one sticking to it. I mean, there's obviously an order you're going to start with short vowels before you get into digraphs, blends, long vowels, 
all of these things. So there is some sort of sequential order, but just making sure that we're explicitly following that order and teaching to those things is really important. So I know there's a lot that's kind of shifted from leveled readers and guided reading, how that's how I would teach when I was teaching before. And that was the big thing. So I know there's a lot of, you know, shift away from that more into decodable readers. Now, can you share a little bit about what you're seeing with that? Yeah. So what I really gather from all that is your earliest beginning readers, like they shouldn't be starting with, I see the hippopotamus, I see the elephant, mm-hmm. because there's no way they're saying the sound hippopotamus to make that word. <laughs> yeah. They're using, you know, so that is. And they're memorizing the so, sentence. <laughs> exactly. So you don't, you, you're going to still like expose them. Like I said, like you're going to expose them to sight words, high frequency words, ones that are going to show up in their decodable, whatever they're reading, like the very, like, you know, the A. Of I have like my list of 10 that you like start with because they're still going to see those in the decodables. You need those in order for them to read a sentence with your earliest readers or even like it might be a first grader who hasn't mastered their ability to like read a sentence that isn't I see the cat or then cat is on the mat, you know, something that's very decodable. So it's a matter of starting with those decodables so that you can like guarantee that kids are reading versus guessing or versus using the picture or, you know, doing what versus memorizing, like you're saying. So that's the the biggest difference. And what I personally have found is that like your level A and B, pre-AAB, that's very picture dependent. When you start to get C and D and above that, yes, there's still pictures, but it's not, here's the sentence in the picture here. Yes. So like some kids are going to, we know this, some kids take off. You, you don't need to spend hours on, you know, reading decodables. They're, they can move on to a leveled reader because in the end, a leveled reading passages or a story is just a text, right? Like, yes, it has a level attached to it, but if you remove the level, then it's just a text. So for some kids, you're going to be able to move to those quicker, where other kids, they're not going to be ready for level readers until much further down the line when they have been through every single phonics pattern in a very strict way. So for me, like I'm not anti-guided reading. I think it's just shifting what you've been doing in guided reading from like the cues you're providing students, from the prompts you're giving, from the word work portion that you're like, you know, focusing more specifically on phonics patterns and that kind of thing. This is my personal opinion. I know not everyone agrees with this, but I don't think guided reading is terrible. I understand the point that it needs to make a shift to not just being this focus on like, okay, they're on level A, let's do level A, like that kind of thing. It needs to be, it needs to be adjusted, but you can still do a successful small group with your students with a text that is decodable. You can still do a successful lesson with a leveled passage or leveled text. It's just a matter of, it has to be appropriate for that student and it has to not just be that they're guessing and it has to be you know meaningful that you can that you can have them leave the group and say they read that versus like oh did they read that I don't know that seemed like they kind of just went through the pages real quick so yeah that's so true that's such a good point because that you know again that's that pendulum shift I'll throw everything out that we've been doing before and the reality is guided reading small group instruction is so important so vital you're still going to have students at all different levels at all different skills that are work that they're working on And so, you know, taking that into consideration and not just 
pushing all these things aside that were working. I liked what you said of just a level reader, still just a text. <laughs> so they're going to get to that point where, <laughs> especially when you get, you know, I know a lot of the ESL users are working with students who are, have to read grade level text. So just working on that scaffolding and that support where then they can still read that we want them to become skilled readers is really the end goal. So like moving from the decodables to a story that isn't so broken up by like, oh, I've done this phonics pattern because in the real world, that's not what we're doing. Exactly. Now you're, you're picking up a book and reading it. You're picking up the newspaper. So we have to prepare them for that in some yeah. way. <laughs> you mean the newspaper doesn't have all the H brothers yeah. in a paragraph? <laughs> they're like, this one's more <laughs> focused on these product patterns. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That'd be nice. So let's go- talk about that. Cause I do think, you know, many of the ESL teachers that are listening, they do either push in small group instruction or pull out small group instruction. So I think small, small group instruction, especially when it comes to phonics, phonemic awareness, sight words, all of that is really crucial. So can you share with us some different ways, some fun ways that you can work on phonics? Cause like we said, sometimes our students might disengage or just feel like oh, I've already done this. This is too hard. Like, I mean, the English sounds are really tricky. So how can we add some fun to our lesson so that our students remain engaged. Yes, I feel like this is like my bread and butter. I just think it's so important because not only students who are in, you know, English as a second language group, but also like struggling readers, like you have got to make them feel like they are excited to be there. You want them to feel like they're making progress. You know, motivation is so important for those students, like any at any age, because really it is like, otherwise they're just, they're done. So I love incorporating any sort of hands-on tool that makes it more exciting. So if you start at the very like basic piece of like letter sounds, you can do things like you they're writing their letters in shaving cream and they're saying the letter S says, and they're drawing it with shaving, you know, in there. You can have them make letters with Play-Doh. You can have, you know, mini erasers. I still are very popular. You can have them form the letter using, you know, 15 mini erasers. They're making the letter S. So it's really like the goal to have them master the sound that that letter makes, but also making that visual connection with this is the letter S. This is how you form it with your hand. This is how it sounds. So they're understanding the written shape of the letter at the same time. And then you can also do this if you, so the reason any of these things you can do with students who are working on literally their letter, individual letters, or if they're doing CBC words, if they're doing CBCE words, whatever it is, like you can just advance the skill. So it's not that you need a bunch of different, you know, hands-on tools. It's just like, you just need your base ones. And then you just adjust what the content is that you're focusing on. So then they would just be doing your, they're making CBC words with Play-Doh, but it's again, that they're saying the sounds and they're putting the word together. So it's almost that like subconscious, like they're physically doing something, but at the same time, their brain is working and saying like, oh, see, this makes this sound and then they're putting it together. So that's one thing I love to do. Another thing is sensory bins. Sensory bins can be so fun for, you know, kids in kindergarten, first grade, kid, I mean, really any age, I feel like they're <laughs> excited and it's that hands-on piece. But you can, again, you can put letters in there where they're pulling them out. They can trace it with their finger and then they can say the sound. They might match it up to like a printable on the side that has all the letters. You can also do that with like pictures of, again, CBC words, whatever it is, like pictures of objects. And then they're pulling it out. They might be saying what it is. They're going to say all the sounds in the word. And then they're going to put the word together with like, you know, letter tiles on the side or whatever. So it's just trying to get their brain to really be making all these different connections while they're like physically doing something. So it's not just you saying like, okay, write down all the sounds in back. And then you're like, okay, 
now write down all the sounds that, you know, it, it, it just adds that little bit of extra. And it doesn't have to be a lot of time. Like these could be two minutes of your small group time. Like when you get them to the table, you say like, okay, let's sit down. Let's do our Play-Doh letters real quick. And then they get to do it for a few minutes and then you move on. Or it's the end of your small group time where five minutes after, okay, you've learned all this stuff. Now let's apply it and put it into these math. Letter tiles are my favorite. I own like a million letter yeah. tiles. That just like every time I see a new one, I'm like, ooh, they're my favorite. I can't resist them. I don't know what it is. It's that new picture book for me. Yes. <laughs> but letter tiles are, <laughs> they're so helpful because you can do so many different things with them. I love magnet strips and magnetic letters where you can like literally like stick them on there and then you can do like manipulation kind of things, which we know is huge for phonemic awareness, like the oral piece of it, but then also making that connection when they're physically moving the letters around, that's the phonics connection. I also love using pom-poms and mini erasers where you might, let's say if you did the word, I keep saying bat, you know, it's like I'm sticking with one word, but if you do bat, you could say, now I want you to, after you make the word bat, pick a pom-pom and put it on the vowel. So then they're going to put it on the vowel sound. So you're getting them to, again, recognize like what are our short vowels? What are our consonants and that kind of thing? Because you do want students to know all that because otherwise they get to second grade and they're like, what are vowels? And you're like, what do you mean? You know what vowels are. And then you say A, E, and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, I know those. And you're like, okay. So it's just, it's not that they need all of that, like vocabulary. We're isolating phonemes right now. You don't need them to say that, but you do (laughs) want them to say like, oh, I'm finding the short A sound. Here's the short A sound, like that kind of thing. So that's a few things. I also like letter dice. I always I have those like soft ones where students can literally like roll them and you just make sure like one of them is going to be a vowel that goes in the middle and then they're going to put those together to make the word. So again, it's a little more active so they're not just sitting and staring at you or staring off. Um, and then this is one of my favorite things of teacher, teacher, what do you see? So this is like a little poem that, and I have like a different one for each month that, you know, goes along with like a monthly theme, but it's just like, teacher, teacher, what do you see? And then it's like, I see readers looking at me. And then on the chart, on the board, whatever, you could have a bunch, if you're focusing on long vowels with silent E, you would have a bunch of different words that have silent E. And then you're just literally going through and having them read it as you tap through. And then like, once you've done this a few times, like the student can become the leader And then they get that ownership piece where they're leading the group through it. And then it's just like a fun repeat each week where you can change out the words that they're focusing on. But it's another way for them to be making those connections between the sounds and the actual words. I love that. Do you do that during like a calendar warm-up meeting time? Yes, it's perfect for a meeting time. And you can do it in small groups, especially if you have a class that's like hugely, you know, a huge wide range where like otherwise you would have words that you know, some kids might be able to read, others who don't. So it's a nice thing to do. It's a small group kind of thing where you can just say like, okay, this group's focusing on CBC words. My next group's going to do the blend words and that kind of thing. And you can just quickly switch out what the actual focus words are. I love that. That's a great idea. (laughs) Awesome. Props and and games and things are so necessary. And really, I mean, start simple. You know, if you're new to teaching phonics and and working on this you don't feel like you have to go out and buy all the erasers and all the letters and all that stuff but just start really simple and and start to do it's important for your students too to just kind of have that one go to okay at the beginning I know I'm going to grab the play-doh and I'm going to work on these letters that are my teacher tells me you know setting up those routines are really important and then you can start to add in more and more because those are some really great ideas I love magnetic magnetic and then they can become like (laughs) yeah (laughs) and then they can become like your 
center activities too, you know, where it's like, exactly. they've, they've, they've done it with you. And then each one has their, you know, you have your own little center kit, but then it's like, okay, then they can go do it. And they know how to, like I said, again, it becomes like second nature. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, they, they know what they should be doing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> awesome. We just have one more question here, Eileen. I would love if you could share maybe a tip or two for teachers that are working with struggling readers or just students who really aren't grasping the phonics skills, what would you recommend for them? Go back to the basics. It really is a matter of finding out and assessing what does the student know, what they don't know. I am someone who keeps things as simple as can be. I do not like complicated things. So this is literally like starting with a sheet of paper that has letter sounds and then individual, then moving on to like the CBC words and that kind of thing and see how far they get. You don't want to push them where they're then getting frustrated. You just want to get an idea. And then you use that to inform your teaching and you understand like, okay, I have to go back to this point in my phonics scope and sequence. We're going to start here, introduce the sound, practice it in isolation, practice it in context. And you slowly, slowly, slowly get it bigger and bigger. So you start with the individual sound, start with a word or go to a word next, phrase, sentence, and then a story. So it's just really getting them to build on their skills. That's so, so good because last year I homeschooled my daughter in kindergarten. I know your daughter's the same age. She's going to first grade this year. And just, I think a lot of it is fighting that feeling like, oh, they need to be moving faster. Oh, they should be reading already. Oh, they should be, you know, this should be easier for them. And she really did struggle with at first, just really knowing the sounds and wasn't really interested to be honest. She just really didn't care. (laughs) So a lot of it is just that, that engagement with the students, that interest a lot. And then she started taking off, you know, but it was really fighting that urge that I know many teachers face, especially when working with ELLs of this feeling like they're behind and we have to get them up to speed. And if they're not reading, then there's the end of the world. And really just like you said, going back and figuring out what do they know and where are they at so that you can start from there? Because if we rush through this and don't give them the foundations, they will, you know, I saw many students, unfortunately, who were in sixth grade and really couldn't read or write in English or their native language. So they're kind of just in this middle ground of really not being strong in either, either language. And that's the opposite of what we want. And so I think that's such great advice to really encourage teachers to go back, do a simple assessment go with your gut of where you think if they're still on letter sounds, then start there and really just look and see, okay, do they know all of them confidently? If not, then stay there and keep working on those. Cause there's no sense in moving to CVC words if they're still struggling on some of their sounds. So I think that was absolutely, yeah. So, so good, but it's hard. It's, we feel like we need, you know, if we go faster and we give them more then they're going to get faster. But a lot of times, I mean, especially working with those younger students, it's so developmental. I had a student who was in first grade whose writing was just, oh, it was in, it was, everything was backwards and we were concerned we were going to start testing him. And literally within a week, we had a, parent, a meeting with his parents and within a week, it was just like, it clicked. Everything started working itself out. And I've seen that over and over where it does just, you know, give them what they need. And a lot of times just developmentally, it will click. So Awesome, Eileen. This was so, so helpful. I appreciate all your wisdom that you shared with us today. Can you tell my listeners where they can find more about all the great things you're doing? So you can find me at Literacy with Eileen Clausen. That's my blog and my Instagram and Facebook. I'm going to spell it for you just because my parents aren't 
aren't from the U.S. either. So I have a different name. It's A-Y-L-I-N and last name C-L-A-A-H-S-E-N. And that's also my TBT store is just my name, Eileen Clausen. So you can kind of find me everywhere as long as you can remember the spelling of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's another episode we need to have you on to share about your experience. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. I would love, that's what I want. My like, if I ever write a children's book, it's going to be about like my parents not being from this country. <laughs> I think you absolutely need to write that yes. because we all know our students need those kinds of books. Yeah. Where are your, sure. where are your parents from again? My mom is from Germany and my dad is from Turkey and they met in Spain. So it's just oh, like, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and what language did you speak at home? So I only spoke English. That was my parents' common language. So like we, we only spoke English. So I never went through any of the English language learner classes myself. It was just my own like experiences of it outside of school, really. Of um, course. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. We're going to have to have you back on the show. <laughs> yes, I would love to. <laughs> And if you, when you, when you release that book, we'll encourage you to, to create that book. That'd be yeah, for sure. <laughs> and we will put a link in the show notes as well. So that if you didn't catch the spelling of that, you can still find all the great things that Eileen is doing and ways that you can use some of her resources to help your students. So thank you so much, Eileen. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Thank you. This was so fun. All right. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Thank you for joining me in today's episode. All links and resources mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you're looking for even more support and done-for-you resources created specifically for the needs of ELLs, head to inspiringyounglearners.com. I'll catch you here next week. Until then, take that next step to keep equipping your ELLs.